Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Tim McGraw, singer songwriter, and actor. He's won every country music award a man can win. He's even been People Magazine's sexiest country singer. But despite all of that, superstar Tim McGraw remains a simple Southern boy at heart. He grew up poor, living in a broken home. Tim admits it was rough sometimes, very rough. When he was 11 years old, he discovered a family secret that would change his life forever. Ten years later, Tim sold everything he had and moved to Nashville. He played in a lot of bars and wasn't an overnight success by any means, but by the mid-1990s, his albums were going platinum and his tours selling out. And during his record-setting, spontaneous combustion tour, Tim met Faith Hill. Their romance is a country music legend. And now they're raising three teenage daughters. Tim is still so humble, even a little shy, I'd say. And sometimes, performing in a packed arena, he still can't quite believe he belongs there. Everybody has a story, and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Tim McGraw. I see a lot of guys in my shows every now and then that are there with their wives or girlfriends, and they don't really care about being there, you know? For me, I'll play to that person more than I do anybody. I mean, that's a challenge for me to get those. And sometimes I'll, like, there'll be a guy or something that, that's sitting there, and he's almost laughing at me. And I get it. You know, like, I'm this clown. Who's this clown jumping around up there, and, you know, my wife's going crazy, or my girlfriend? And, I, and I'll look at her, and I'll go, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> So it's fun. It's, it's fun to find somebody like that and make a connection, even if it's not about them liking your music or them. It's just about, yeah, it's fun, you know. It's really not about you so much as it is about the environment that you're in and the music that you're playing and the feeling that you're creating. I grew up in northeastern part of Louisiana. My mom, Betty, my stepdad, Horace. I have two sisters that I grew up with that are fantastic. And we grew up in a very rural environment. There were some tumultuous times growing up. I mean, we certainly didn't have any money. My mom got pregnant with me, and um, my mom's senior year in high school, I think. And they sent her away to sort of to hide in Louisiana with the relatives. And she grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, so she she was she just loved beach music. So I remember listening to all I knew all the Beach Boy songs. I knew all the Jan and Dean songs when I was a kid. You know, anything that would come on the radio, I, I knew the words to because she always had it cranked up. And she, I remember, I guess I was probably around a year old when she was working at a Greyhound bus station in Ravel. She had me right beside the jukebox in a little playpen in the Greyhound bus station. And Horace Smith was a truck driver. And he used to come in all the time, and she ended up marrying him. You know, my stepdad, Horace, growing up, he drove an 18-wheeler a lot. He was sort of a cowboy kind of guy. I spent a lot of time with him in an 18-wheeler, and I listened to 
eight tracks with Merle Haggard and, and George Jones and Merle Travis, you know, in truck stops at six in the morning, you know, and listening to jukeboxes and things like that and listen to truckers talk. One of the things that always stands out when I think about, I certainly think about laying in the cab of the truck, driving down the road, listening to music and just the highway going by. And, and those were great memories of that. But I think one thing that I remember that it's sort of mundane, but it's pulling into a cotton gin and these big suction pipes that would come out of the cotton gin. And, and there's an operator that's in this little cage sitting up, up high and they're operating these big suction pipes that suck all of the cotton seed out of the trailer. But I mean, as a country music artist, there's not a better foundation, I don't think, than, than hauling cotton seed across Louisiana and Texas in an 18-wheeler listening to eight tracks of George Jones and Merle Haggard. It's a pretty good foundation. I was an athlete. I played baseball, basketball, and football. For a kid, that keeps you busy. You certainly learn a lot with sports, but for me, it kept me engaged in something. It kept, me, it kept your mind off of things that may not be necessarily good. My mom and stepfather had gone through a really nasty divorce. And, and there was a lot going on in my life through my junior high and teenage years, a lot of turmoil in my life and a lot of sort of dysfunction in our family. But um, then I got involved in sports and it, it was a good outlet for me. You know, one of the greatest people in my life I met through sports or, or mentored me through sports and that was Coach Butler, who's not with us anymore. But he, he was somebody who was a big influence on me, somebody that always sort of was a sort of a steady rock in my life. He was the history teacher and he was the basketball coach and the baseball coach and, and uh, assistant principal as well. So he, he sort of delivered the punishment. When, when we were kids, you know, when you got sent to the principal's office, it, it, it meant something. Coach Butler was the kind of guy that everybody in the community looked up to. When it would rain really hard, or, you know, a couple places would get flooded and part of Coach Butler's routine was to come around in a pickup truck and pick all the players and we would load up in the back of the truck and go down to the cotton gin and load sandbags and take them and put sandbags around people's houses. The male role model situation around our, our home wasn't, wasn't exactly great. So um, it was really awesome to have somebody like Coach Butler who he was always somebody that you observed and, and sort of learned how you should carry yourself. I remember I was home from school one day and my mom says I was looking for Christmas presents, but I don't, I don't think that, that's exactly how it happened. I think I was in her closet. I think I was looking to see if there were some quarters or something falling on the floor, you know, always looking for some change or something. And there was a shoebox there, and I opened the shoebox. And the first paper I pulled out of that shoebox, I opened it up, and it was a birth certificate. And it said, Samuel Timothy McGraw. And the McGraw was X'd out, and it had Smith written in hand above it. And I didn't have a clue what that meant. Then I kept reading and I read down where it said, father's occupation, professional baseball player. And that's how I found out Tug McGraw, that he was my father. I mean, it was just so out of nowhere, the whole idea of it and the thought process. It was like, almost like if an alien showed up and introduced himself and said, hi, I'm from Mars. I mean, that's how foreign it was to me. To me, as an 11-year-old kid, it was like finding the golden ticket at Willy Wonka's factory. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Not realizing the trauma that it had created to everyone in my life and to me. I didn't realize the trauma it had created in me. I mean, those are the things that you find out the older that you get, you know, the more things you get in your kitchen. But um, I met Tug the first time when I was 11, and it was just a quick sort of lunch. And then... 
seeing him play the game. It certainly wasn't an acknowledgement that he was my father, but I knew the Philly schedule inside and out by that time. And I, I knew who Tug was anyway, but really started paying attention. And the next year, I wanted to go back, beg my mom to take me back to see the Phillies play Houston. And she borrowed a car and we drove to Houston and he was playing at the Astrodome. And he had left tickets for us. I remember going, because she'd gotten in contact with his lawyer, I think, and his lawyer had said he'll leave tickets for you. We go to the Astrodome, we walk in, and they're warming up, and he's down on the field, and he's, he always did this thing where a player would hit balls with a fungo bat and hit it up in the air, and he would catch them behind his back. So he was doing that, and I started yelling at him, and then he wouldn't look at me. And so I spent 30 minutes trying to get his attention, and he wouldn't look at me. So I went and sat back down, and then I never saw him again until till, um, I was 18. Look, there's kids that have gone through so much more than I could ever imagine. So, I, look, I, in a lot of ways, that probably was a good driving force for me. You know, knowing that, you know, his blood was in me, it, you know, it, it inspired me. It did. And whether he knew it or not or ever, ever thought about it, he gave me something that you, you, you could never quantify. He gave me a dream of what I might could become because of what he, he was. He was my father, and what he had done with his life put something in me that I probably would have never had or might not have ever had, who knows. But I, I certainly think that that was a driving force in me to think that I could become somebody. My grandmother had a place right off of Highway 80, and it was right by the Beff River. It's a place called the Green Frog. It was a little cinder block bar that probably held like 30 people. It was her place, and I remember sitting up on a bar stool while she was cleaning the bar in the middle of the day and watching these little three-piece bands come in and set up and sound check and play music and just spent hours and hours just watching these guys do that. And so I'm sure that somewhere along the line that that's ingrained in me. You know, I, I beer, chasing girls, you know, all those things, now I, I, I lived all that stuff. You know, I, I, I had, gosh, I had a lot of, had a lot of fun, <laughs> you know, but I have more fun now. You know, it's it's a different kind of fun. You know, Faith and I didn't get married until we were 29. So I spent a lot of time in a van, you know, pulling a trailer for years until, until I got a record deal. And even for a few more years after that, until I had a hit record. I mean, I started playing music when I was, gosh, 19 years old in college. I started studying pre-law. It was my major in college. And then I joined a fraternity and I don't know, what happened after that? <laughs> but uh, my first summer of college, I went, took my high school ring, went to a pawn shop, and I sold my high school ring for $25, and I bought a guitar there for 25 bucks. And that summer, I sat and sat and sat and learned to play probably about 50 songs over that summer. And then that fall, I started playing for tips at a little restaurant that was close to the house I lived in. And the only people that came were my fraternity brothers and people I went to college with. That was the only people that showed up, and I got free beer, and I got free catfish. And that's what I lived off of, was playing that little place, drinking free beer and eating free catfish, and all my friends showing up to see me sing. I was hooked. That was the only thing I wanted to do from that point forward. I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life. And um, I just got more and more in, into music and more and more into learning to play guitar and more and more into learning songs, and uh, ended up telling my mom that, you know, I think that I'm just going to drop out of school and, and move to Nashville. And she, she told me that she was surprised that I hadn't done it sooner. And I did. I sold everything I had. I sold 
water skis and shotguns and just everything that I had and all the money that I had. And I got on a Greyhound bus and got to Nashville at four in the morning. Never looked back. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do this no matter what happened. I, if I was going to be playing in a club and barely making my rent, or if I was going to be playing in front of 100,000 people, I didn't care. I was going to be playing music. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Nashville is such a a hub and such a vibration of talent. And people from all over the place come here to write music. I mean, it's full of poets. Everybody's a singer. So at first, it's intimidating because you hear the best singers that you've ever heard in your life stand up on a club somewhere and just sing a song, and you're blown away by it. So at first, you think, well, I, I probably shouldn't be here. But then you start realizing how passionate you are about it, and then you start learning more about it, and then you start writing songs with people that are really great songwriters. And then you start feeling it. I just loved it. I was eat up with it. Anything that you do is, is peppered with doubt, and it's also peppered with belief. What you have to do is you have to not let the doubt win. I remember being in the studio and did a few sides with another producer, singing over and over and over again and, and not really thinking I got it right, and I wasn't really liking the songs that we were recording. And, and I remember going to dinner with him that night, and he goes, you know, you're a nice guy. And he said, but I don't think this is for you. I think you, you probably, you know, unless you want to find another part of this business you want to work in, you, you might should not be involved in being a singer. <laughs> and uh, at first, I believed him. And I remember that night and questioning myself and questioning whether I should do this anymore, questioning if, if it was the right thing to do. But I didn't want to do anything else. I couldn't imagine what else I would do. I didn't, couldn't imagine how I was ever going to pay my bills. I couldn't imagine how else I was ever going to make a living. I couldn't imagine doing anything else but making music. So we didn't work together anymore. The label sort of just stopped paying attention to anything I did. So I, I figured I was about to lose my record deal. So I was sort of on my own there. And I got all these musicians together. And I said, look, I want to do a, a show down at this place called Diamond in the Rough. It was a little bar that was downtown Nashville. I had a bunch of friends who were musicians, and I probably had like 150 bucks left in my name. So we learned all these songs, and I sent out letters to all these different producers and record labels and everybody all over town. And Byron Gallimore, he said he wanted to work with me. And that's how I really started getting my confidence back. You got to make yourself go forward. You have to make yourself push through. I find for me, especially, that there's always that doubt that drives you forward. I wasn't gonna let the doubt overcome the belief that I had in what I could do. Tim McGraw and Faith Hill are country royalty. Back in 1996, their scorching onstage chemistry made Spontaneous Combustion the highest grossing tour in country music history. And by its end, Tim and Faith were married. Almost 20 years later, they have three daughters. Tim says he's still in awe of his wife and all that she does. The thing about Faith is she's, 
She's so talented, you know. She's one of the best singers that I've ever heard in my life in any kind of music. And I always say that she's probably one of the top singers in the world. She actually bursted onto the scene and she came out with her first single, Wild One. Me, along with, you know, millions of other guys instantly fell in love with her. I can remember walking in my manager's office at the time and there was a Billboard magazine that had a picture of her with her feet up on a couch. And I just stopped and stared at it. And I'm like, who the hell is this? So I watched her career and, and in 96, we did, there was some talk about us, it was my first headline tour, and there was talk, some talk about her maybe possibly being on the tour with me. So we did a festival together up in, um, in Wisconsin. And we did this thing where we, the whole band and I would come out on the end of the stage and we would do sort of this electric slide. <laughs> Trust me, it wasn't dancing because nobody wants to see me dance, but it was my very white country singer version <laughs> of dancing. She was watching the show to the side of the stage and I sort of kept keeping an eye on her. And she came running out and did it with us and was facing me. And I was watching her and I'm like, all right, all right, this, I like this girl. And then we started the tour and I was instantly hooked. I think it took her a, a lot longer than it took me, but um, we had a great, it was a great summer. You know, we sing a song together on stage every night. I, I just couldn't stand it anymore and started just slowly, <laughs> we're just chipping away at her until she finally just gave in. I think I just went after her so hard that she just finally gave up. I'm still wearing her down. I'm still trying. The funny thing is my grandmother saw her on TV before I met her. And her grandmother saw me. And both our grandmothers said, that's who y'all need to be. Y'all need to be together. You know, my grandmother told me, that's the girl you're going to marry. By the end of the tour, we were, it was it for us. And so we secretly planned a wedding and we got married. That morning, we rolled out of the bed, got off the bus, and told everybody we were going to get married today. And my preacher, who I grew up with, married us. And it was on, in my Aunt Barbara's backyard in Ravel, Louisiana, under a locust tree in her backyard. And then right after, we had crawfish and catfish. And then we went and played softball in a tournament and did a concert that night. <laughs> and that was our wedding. It's a pretty Louisiana, Mississippi wedding. It's been an amazing life. I mean, you know, we're married, and we... When we, we close our door at home, we're a husband and a wife and a mother and a father. I mean, that's what our life is. The chances that we've got to tour together, to sing together, I mean, how many people get to do that in their lives? You better have it together when you sing because she is going to flat bring it every time she opens her mouth. And to step out and be on the same stage with her and to sort of be a hack, sort of singer that I am, to go out and just sort of, you know, hacks along and does the things that I do. I mean, I know how to do what I do well, but it's a different thing than having such a, a talent that she has. It's so effortless. And she walks out, and it's like, it's like Aretha Franklin, Janis Joplin, and Bridget Bardot all rolled into one when she comes out and starts singing. And it amazes me every night, every chance that I get to sing with her, to sit back and watch her. And then I think about the fact that we're married and the fact that we've raised these three beautiful daughters. And then I think about having three daughters and having her for their mom. <laughs> it's a pretty cool thing for those girls to have her. To say what a hit song is, I couldn't tell you what a hit song was. I couldn't tell you. I mean, gosh, I've, I've had tons of songs that I had to talk to everybody around me into believing it was a good song.
You know, it's just something that it has to hit me viscerally. You know, I have to feel it. And sometimes it's the melody. Sometimes the melody hits me and it doesn't matter what the song says. Sometimes it's the lyric that just tells a beautiful story and it doesn't matter how it's rolled out. It's just a beautiful story. And sometimes it's just something that feels good to you. And so I, there's not, not any sort of formula. Now, what's beautiful is when all three of those things come together, then that's, that's something that, as an artist, that you, you just think is just magical. The first day that I moved to Nashville, I went to, straight to a bar that morning and ended up upstairs in the room with guitars with three or four songwriters that I'd met. And one of them was Tommy Barnes. He played Indian Outlaw, and I said, I'm going to record that song. That's going to be a big hit for me. And everybody just laughed at me. It was my first night in town. And uh, I ended up learning it and played it in clubs and bars. And, and I felt like it was going to be a big impact record for me. And the reaction that we were getting live, we were playing it two and three times a night. So I felt pretty confident about that song. My producers and my record label, when I recorded my first album, wouldn't let me record it. And then when I got a chance to record my second album, I walked in and I said, before anybody says anything, I'm recording this song. Now, you never know what radio is going to play or, or how fans are going to accept something on a bigger scale, but they did. And it was a song that sort of turned the corner for me. I had never thought anything about it being controversial. That never even crossed my mind. There was one set of, of um, the Native American tribe out of Oklahoma, and I think that they had made some comments that they didn't like it because they thought it was demeaning to, to Native Americans. And then there was a set of Native Americans in the Carolinas that liked it. And the head of, the, of their tribe liked it. It bothered me that they might think that I, I felt that way. And I felt that I was trying to demean somebody. I didn't want to make the Native American community upset or mad or anything like that. I just thought it was a fun song. If I'm not going in the studio and singing a song that I wrote, which is 90% of the time I'm not, I'm singing songs that a songwriter wrote, and a song that I found or a song that was pitched to me or a songwriter gave me to listen to, I have to take that song and instantly feel like I own it and instantly feel like it's something that I would say, how I would say it, or be able to put myself into that position to say it and to be honest with it. For me, as a singer, that has a lot to do with being an actor. What you're doing is you're sort of making yourself the main character of that movie that you're singing. And you're walking through that story. What you can do is you can step into that song and live through that song, just like everybody else does when they're listening to it. And you can find a way to make it relate to you or make it relate to parts of your life. To have, have songs that move people, I think is what every artist goes for and that can only happen if it moves you first walmart plus members save on meeting up with friends save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups that's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier plus members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods plus when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship start a show together with your included paramount plus subscription walmart plus members save on this plus so much more Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You know, as a musician, it all sort of revolves around being cool. You're right. Everybody thinks of a musician as this cool cat. As an actor, you can't worry about that because an actor, you have to be all sorts of things, you know, and sometimes cool's not one of them. So that always kept me a little bit from doing it. Not that I was ever 
that cool anyway. But, you know, you like to think you are. If you're going to do this for a living, you got to build up some sort of veneer to get through it. But I think music and acting are, are a lot like kissing cousins, I guess, in a way. They're, they're, they're really close in nature, but they're different. I, I did a few plays, I guess, in like early in my life. I went junior high and, and elementary school and stuff like that, and I always thought it was cool and liked it. I never really wanted to do it because I was scared to death that I would ruin my music career. So I waited and waited and waited. I wanted to make sure I had, a, in my mind, had a, a little bit of an established career going before I tried to step off and do something else. And so by the time Friday Night Lights came along, I read it. And instantly I called and said, I, I, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. So we cut to making this film. I'm in the Astrodome. I'm walking out on this football field to see my son, who had just lost a game, taking off a state championship ring and putting it on his finger. For me, that was um, a pretty emotional scene because when I was 20, 20 years old, I flew to Florida. And that was only the third time in my life I'd ever seen my father. And he takes off his National League championship ring and gives it to me before I go back to college. It's still one of the things that, that uh, about that movie that, that I'll never forget. And I learned so much from that because I'd never seen myself do that. I'd seen myself do videos, which is a whole different thing, but I'd never seen myself act you know, like that. And you have to try new things. You have to progress. Look, there are plenty of arts and arts that I love that are, do one thing and they do it great. I think that I don't do one thing great, so I have to do a lot of things pretty good. <laughs> I used to have to have a few drinks to get on stage because I'm sort of an innately a shy person. And to step out on stage and to sing and be in front of people was nerve wracking for me in a lot of ways. And um, that was the way I got my courage, you know, some liquid courage with a little Jack Daniels and I could get on stage and sing. And, and I couldn't do it without doing that. And um, early on, my mom had told me that you need to stop doing that in order to go on stage or it's going to become an issue for you. I grew up in Louisiana, and we used to drink Miller ponies sitting on a tailgate around a bonfire. I mean, that was part of the culture of growing up for us. You know, you can come up with a million excuses why you drink too much. Lack of confidence, the success that came so so quickly, and then some of the things that, that you didn't realize was trauma, I guess, back when you were 11, the things that we were talking about back when you were 11 years old and you find that birth certificate, all the trauma that that caused with everybody around you and you didn't think it caused any trauma to you so much. I think the older you get, sometimes you start realizing those things. And so I think that all of those things started coming into play and it got to the point where I knew that I drank too much and I knew that it was affecting my personal relationships, it was affecting my professional relationships, it was affecting my family, it was turning me into a person that I didn't want to be. And um, I knew that I was at a point where I could lose everything that I had in my life. It's first and foremost my family. And it's time to stop. And I stopped. I had a complete blowout drink in one night, the night before tour started. Flew to Florida that morning from being wasted the night before and started that tour and haven't drank since. And that was the toughest tour that I've ever done in my life, is to get through that tour not drinking. I'd never done it before. I'd never done a show. I don't think I could probably count on one hand the times I'd stepped on stage where I didn't have alcohol in me or something. And um, that was the toughest thing about quitting. I'm not a advice giver unless, you know, 
I'm just not an advice giver. I try to advise my daughters, but they don't listen. But I, I think that I would say that you're the only person that knows. You're the only person that knows that you need to stop. And you're the only person that can control whether you stop or not. And if you don't, you'll die or you'll lose everything. And so you certainly need to get all the help you can get. You certainly need to get in any program that you think might help you or any of those things. But ultimately, you can do all that stuff to your blue in the face. And if you don't decide that you have to stop, it's not going to happen. Nobody can do it for you. You have to own it. Anything that you want to be good at and anything that you want to succeed at, you have to own it. You have to step up to the plate and you have to swing the bat. Otherwise, you're not going to be in the game. When people ask about Tug, you know, and we never were real close, you know, even throughout our, our lives, we never got really close. I mean, you know, anybody that knew Tug knew that he was a great, fun-loving guy. But um, he certainly was never my father in, in the fatherly sense of the word. But I, I never could be too bitter about it, and I'm still not too bitter, never really bitter about it. I mean, for all the negative and all the trauma and who knows what scars there are, it certainly, I think I got more positive out of it than negative. When he got sick, he developed glioblastoma, brain cancer. And uh, it, he originally was given about three weeks to live. And we found some doctors and he had some surgeries. And, you know, he ended up having a, a bit longer life and being around a little longer. I didn't spend a ton of time with him, but, uh, you know, when he was going through surgeries, I was do, I was on tour and I was flying in after shows to the hospital. And But when he got really toward the end sick, um, he wanted to come to Nashville and we had a farm. We have a farm here and, and there, there's a cabin up on a hill and that's where he ended up staying the last couple of weeks of his life. And my sister, my brother, and my uncle Hank all came in and we got to spend some good time together in a cabin up there on the hill and, and sort of just spend his last days. And that's where he ended up passing away. You gotta believe. And that's what Tug said. That was his mantra. That was his mantra all through playing baseball, was you gotta believe. And, you know, as corny as it is and as crazy as it is and as goofball as it all is, I mean, it's true. You gotta believe. If you don't, nothing's gonna happen. Well, fame is, I think it's something that you have to learn to either think about or not think about. And I think it bounces back and forth. I think sometimes you think about it, sometimes you don't. I think for Faith and I, 80% of the time, it's about us and our family and going to school in the mornings and going to basketball games and going to football games. And when we decided that we were gonna get married and decided we wanted to have kids, decided we wanted to have a family and, and we were gonna do this and, and all that it entailed and, and the combining of, of both of our crazy lives, the one thing that we wanted to do was to make sure that we were gonna put our family first, we were gonna schedule everything else around that. As they become, little people, you know, and they have their lives and they have their schedules and they have their friends and they have their activities and the things that they like to do. We just made it part of our deal that that's first and everything else just sort of revolves around that and finds a home. There's a side of yourself that you don't get to discover unless you live in a house with three daughters and a wife. I mean, it's, uh, it brings something that you need in your life as a guy. It brings a softness, I think, and it certainly brings a perspective in it. And, a, and I'm a guy's guy. I, mean, I like 
guy things. And I live in a, a world of, or used to be Barbies and chiffon, <laughs> you know, but, but now it's, you know, I have teenage daughters and, you know, my oldest one's got a boyfriend now and they're, and she's dating a and she's dating a college guy for goodness sake. So I, I mean I, I I struggle sometimes to to know what the right thing to do is, but I do know that what you have to do is you have to listen. You know any guy can tell you that's the toughest thing for us to do because what we want to do is jump in and solve everything. Anytime there's a problem, we want to jump in and solve it. But that's been the biggest lesson for me and the biggest thing that I've learned in living in a house full of women is to just sort of pump my brakes and sit back and just listen. And uh, I'm, I'm not good at it yet, but I'm, I'm getting better at it as time goes on. Love hearing him talk about what living with all women has taught him about being a man. Tim is pure country, but doesn't allow that label to confine anything he does. He believes the true gift of being an artist is always getting another chance to do it better. Despite decades of success now, he says he still can't quite believe how far he's come. Well, we're not surprised at all. Tim McGraw, you are a master. The core of country music is who the artist is, not necessarily what the music is. So I don't think that you can put somebody in a box and say, what is country music? What is pop music? What is this kind of music? I think the artist is what makes the music country. For me, I'm a Louisiana boy that was raised in the country, grew up listening to Merle Haggard, grew up loving the Eagles, grew up loving Led Zeppelin, loving Elton John. I mean, all that stuff is in me. Now, it's an endless amount of influence you get as an artist. For instance, I'm influenced by things now, like Daft Punk, something that my kids listen to. I'm a country artist, so what I sing is country music. It's influenced by everything in the world but I'm a country artist. I know that I wanna make better records. I wanna be a better actor. I wanna be a better father. I wanna be a better husband. You know, all those things. But I, I, don't, I don't think I ever got it nailed. And I always think that I need to get better. And I always think that I need to progress. I don't think too far in the future about what I do professionally, music-wise anyway. I try to be in the moment of what I'm creating and I try to make it way better than I did last time. I have to make music that satisfies me, or at least satisfies me enough to be able to move on to the next project. It's never gonna satisfy me completely, but that's what's the beauty of, of being an artist is. You always have another shot at it. You know, you always can go back in and, and get better at it. And that's what I try to do. I don't think I'm ever gonna get to the point where I think I've got it whooped. And if I do, then I'm gonna be fishing somewhere. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.